Hey guys, um, really sad news last Friday morning. Uh, former Florida State basketball player Michael Ojo tragically passed away at age 27 uh, of a heart attack. Really terrible news for someone that's so young and was was such a bright, you know, talented young man that that was an uplifting person in so many people's lives. You know, in Tallahassee and and on to Europe where he, where he took his career to. Uh, and, and it's news that, that really rattled me. You know, you, these are some of the players that we watched wear the garnet and gold just a few years ago. And just really terrible news and a, and a really sad day for, for Seminoles and uh, Knoll Nation uh, around the world. But I was not on campus when Michael Ojo played for Florida State. I didn't get the chance to watch him live and in person or, or, or cover him. But on Tomahawk Talk, some, some former members of the show that, that did get a chance to cover him, that did get a chance to have those conversations with him and can attest to, to the man he was, to the player he was. And so I, I, I thought it would be best if, if we let them kind of commemorate and honor um, the, the life of, of Michael Ojo. So you're going to hear from now uh, Ryan Kelly and Arya Masudi, who were uh, gracious enough to, to leave the extremely kind words about Ojo, so we're gonna go ahead and play that now. You know, in the about eight years I've been here, I've covered a lot of athletes, but I don't think I've ever considered one a friend, except maybe Michael Ojo. And that's not to say that we hung out on the weekends or that we were particularly close, didn't even have the dude's phone number, but that's just the effect that he had on people. He, he made you feel welcome, he made you feel like you guys had known each other forever. And it, it didn't matter if it was a press gaggle where he would often just joke around and have a good time with us after the game. It, it didn't matter if you, if you just saw him out and about. He was always so personable. And, you know, on, on Friday when I had wrote this up and I gave the news on our 6 o'clock newscast, uh, I, I thought about it for a while and then I kind of realized what it is. He, he had a way of making everybody feel a giant like he was. He, he had a way of making everybody feel like they were seven foot tall, like they were the most important thing, like their needs, their concerns. It didn't matter if you were his best friend, if you were on his team, if you were covering him, if you were a kid after the game, if you were a student that came up to say hi to him on campus. In that moment, if he was with you in a conversation with you, he made you feel like the most important thing and that's such a testament to his kindness. It's such a testament to his friendliness. And I, and I think even on the floor, you, you kind of saw what type of guy he was. Ocho was a guy who, when he came in to Florida State, came in as a project. Uh, he was a guy who had not played basketball except for a few years, but his body and his frame just lended to it so well that he ended up going to camps, coming, overseas, or coming here from overseas, of course, from Nigeria, and playing ball and but you saw him every single year. That first year, so raw, so rough, but you just knew the body was there. You, you knew that the skill set was there. And by the end, is he still the quickest on his feet? No. But is he trying harder than anybody on the floor? Yes. Did he become an almost elite shot blocker? Yes. Was he one of the best free throw shooters this place has had in a decade? Yes. He was all of those things because he worked tirelessly, and he was so happy to have his opportunity, and that's why he worked so hard. He was so thrilled to not just be a part of the Seminole family 
in terms of athletics, but the Florida State community. He was so happy to be here and get a degree, got a master's degree, worked hard for it, worked hard for everything he got. And that's why I think this is so rough for so many people who are around Florida State at the time. We both came in together in the fall of 2012. And, you know, basketball at that time had come off that ACC tournament but was about to go through three, four years of tough sledding, especially considering the standards that have been built up over the last four or five years of FSU basketball. It was lean times, but people still loved him, and it's because he gave it his everything on and off the floor in his relationships, in his school. He loved being a Seminole, and he loved being around other people. Rest in peace, big man. Hey, fellas, it's Arya Masudi, and uh, I just wanted to give a quick story about Michael Ojo. Uh, obviously, uh, heartbreaking what has happened and uh, really has sent shockwaves throughout the Florida State community. But uh, time to, to remember him, hopefully, for all the good things that he was able to do and, and all the smiles he put on people's faces. One of my favorite stories that I'll never forget is after one of the games, uh, Ojo came into the media room to do interviews. And now for the media, they have all these different snacks and they have this like movie theater popcorn that is a pretty big box. And honestly, in like seven years of covering Florida State athletics and basketball, I've never been able to finish a full box of popcorn in a three-hour you know, basketball setting while I'm at the Tucker Center. Well, Michael Ojo walks in, sits down, and as he's getting ready to do his media interviews with the scrum, he grabs a, a box of popcorn and downs it within like one minute. And I think in like a seven to eight minute interview session, Ojo actually ended up going through three massive boxes of popcorn while he's interviewing. And it was really just funny to watch a guy like that put down three boxes of popcorn in a span of seven to eight minutes, something I'll never forget. The laughs that he put on the media's face, the, the laughs that he put on the, the Florida State Sports Information face faces. Look, he was a guy that was instant charm and, and an instant bright light in any room. And it's just such a devastating story that has developed here uh, for the Florida State community. But rest in peace, Michael Ojo. Nothing but good memories and smiles. Hello, everyone. This is Tomahawk Talk. I am your host, Brett Rutherford. And, uh, you know, a lot is, is, is going on right now in the sports world. We were dreading this entire summer where there was nothing on to watch except for old reruns on the ACC Network and on ESPN. And, just trying to find something to watch and to get our juices flowing. Now we're getting like a sports overload and it's really hard to keep up with, especially when there's still so many question marks surrounding how sports are going to return and, and, and stay around uh, during COVID-19 and, and college football. Uh, I, I said it on the show a few weeks ago, the way things were trending, they were trending in a direction that you know led to no college football in the fall of 2020. I still think that's where we're heading. Again, you know, some conferences are making decisions. Some conferences are saying we're going to wait. Some conferences are saying there's no way we're not playing, but there's still so many question marks. And uh, I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary, you know, the wild ride continues that is COVID-19. And I, I don't want to say that lightly because there are a lot of people that are, have been affected by the virus and that have died from the virus. Um, but in terms of college football and how they're trying to get back on the field, in 2020 and this is just the big 10 you know it sounds like they're not playing 
Yeah, it's going to be just, like you said, kind of a wild ride. I mean, they we're going to see – it's weird that the way college football works because everyone has their own little governing uh, bodies. The Big Ten right. has the big their own Big Ten. The Pac-12 is on their own, ACC, SEC. And really, the, it's weird that we've never really seen the NCAA kind of step in and, say, and put their foot down for D1 FBS football or any other thing. They've kind of just let everyone else kind of do their own thing. So – it's going to be weird to kind of see this thing all keep pushing forward because obviously we have the Big Ten that's gone down. Rumor has it that maybe the Pac-12 goes down and that maybe some teams jump ship. So we'll see how this all goes. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be very interesting to follow. Yeah, but no, and as always, also on the show tonight is our producer, Sebastian Angel Riano. Sebastian, what's up, man? Uh, how, how confident are you feeling about college football and probably NFL too going into the fall? Well, um, it's funny that you mentioned both college football and the NFL, because if there's anybody who's paying attention to the ongoing discussions across all the conferences in college football, it is the NFL, because that Saturday time bracket for primetime and football games, when nobody else has anything else to watch, that's big money. That's big money. And nobody's watching um, these negotiations more than the NFL, because if enough leagues fall through, that there are enough time slots and enough markets for the NFL to get away with it, they'll jump. They'll jump at that opportunity. So you should, if not, if it weren't for the fact that we're a college radio station and that we're obviously going to be talking about college football, um, on the off chance that we have listeners that aren't very interested in college football, weird, but okay. Um, you should be paying attention to these because you might wake up and want and. Um, for the West Coasters, you might be waking up and in the early, by the time you're eating breakfast or something, you might be watching a Giants game. Honestly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. I, I definitely know our listeners are college football fans. Um, we've got a couple of listeners that have, you know, make, made sure that we talk college football, even on Florida State bye weeks. So, you know, we, <laughs> we, we definitely have fans that are, that are college football fans as well. And making his debut on the Tomahawk Talk, uh, podcast version. He's been in studio on the show before. Uh, it's Anthony Fernandez. Anthony, you know, these, this, this entire summer, just kind of catch us up on, on what you've been up to. And, uh, but, but glad to have you on. Yeah, it feels good to be back. It's a, it's definitely a different situation of uh, being on the zoom calls. Um, but yeah, just, uh, I've, I've been home for um, how many months have we been uh, out of school now? I uh, five. five months. So left five I've, months ago. Right. So ever since we left uh, for spring break, I've been home the whole time uh, back in my hometown. And the only thing that I can do uh, that, oh, as long as I follow the, the COVID guidelines are, is play golf. So I've <laughs> just been playing golf back here at home, um, obviously following the guidelines as well. Um, and now that sports are back, I'm, I'm tuned into the sports as well. Um, but go, talking about this whole um, is college football going to come back? Um, I mean, one thing we haven't really talked about is um, there's, a, there's a heart condition that comes with COVID-19 that if these players aren't careful, they, like not only are teams um, worried that their players are going to contract the virus, but there's a chance that they can contract this heart condition as well. It's called myocarditis. And basically, mm -hmm. it, um, it could lead to heart damage and, and sudden cardiac arrest. Um, it, we, it basically weakens the heart so the rest of the body doesn't get enough blood. Um, I'm not going to go too far into the, the scientific explanation, um, but basically the, the New York Post. It's not good. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. Uh, the, yeah, that's, that's all I can say about that. But um, the New York Post came out with an article um, basically talking about 
um, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, two, two of the conferences that Gary mentioned, um, those, those conferences are worried about this car condition. So it's not just the, the whole uh, COVID-19 virus. It's just it's, it's everything that can come with it. It's just the, the, all the consequences that can come with it. And the more that people are starting to get this virus, the more that um, scientists are able to study the virus, the more that they, can, uh, that they can get these results and really give a better gauge on how dangerous this virus actually is, you know? Well, you saw Eduardo Rodriguez, left-handed pitcher for from the Boston Red Sox, who you know he got this, ended up with this heart condition after testing positive for for COVID nineteen, and you know he's got to miss the rest of the season now, and pretty much monitor you know how he's going to return to baseball, and the, the conversation with college football and college sports in general has always gone back to this: at this point in time, these players are not employees. They are unpaid student athletes. I know they get scholarship money. We're not here to debate whether or not they should be paid it's a whole or not. Other conversation. The fact is, they're not paid a salary. They're not employees. And so, how can you, in a lot of schools around the country, some of which are still trying to play college football, and Florida State is one of those, is pretty much telling students, "We don't want you on campus, but we're going to take our hundred or so football players, and we're going to put them on the field, you know, every, every single Saturday and in practice until then." When really Florida State, like, I don't know about you guys, you know, classes, they're not officially all moved online, but just about every single class is not going to be taught in person. Uh, and and they kind of, they kind of like did that without ever making an announcement. They started like slowly transitioning classes. Well, all of us like, well, you know, during that time, football players were on campus every single day going to workouts and, and, and they've just started practice and training camp. And, you know, according to the schedule, like they're still just, you know, not that long far away from playing an actual college football game that season opener against Georgia Tech isn't as far as away as you think. We kind of saw transpire last night, a group of college football players led by two of the biggest talents in the game, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Field, tweet out hashtag we want to play. Justin Fields, I think he might have been the first one to tweet out this graphic or it was his was definitely the tweet that blew up the most. And it looked like an attempt to, like, unionize as college football players. A huge step. Something we've never seen before in college football. Gary, I think you have the, get, the graphic pulled up. What were some of the things listed on there? Why don't you just read it off? Yeah, I'll read it off. So, at the top, it has all the logos of the, the Power 5 conferences. It has hashtag we are united, hashtag we want to play. And then it goes into almost sort of a list of demands. And it says we all want to play football this season, establish universal mandated health and safety procedures and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among all conferences throughout the NCAA, give, uh, give players the opportunity to opt out and respect their decision, guarantee eligibility whether a player chooses to play or not, and then use their voice to establish open communication and trust between players and officials, ultimately create a college football players association, and then representatives of the players for all the uh, Power Five conferences. So yeah, like you said, this is pretty much an attempt to unionize. And I, this isn't, we've had actually an attempt to unionize before in the college football realm. I believe it was in 2016 or 2017, Northwestern football tried to become their own union. It was ultimately struck down either by Chicago or the state of Illinois. <laughs> it really is. It was either the state of Illinois that shot them down or it was um, the whole United States kind of legal system. But yeah, we've seen this before. And I think that Northwestern, I don't think they really had a chance, but this, the Power Five Players Union, has a huge chance of succeeding. I mean, Definitely. that's, well, like, 
if if like I, I want to be as optimistic as, as Gary is with with that statement where it's like the the P5 players union has like a huge chance of succeeding when like I feel I have a nasty feeling that the NCAA would have schools play hardball with with their student athletes it's like okay if you want to be a part of the union you cannot be a student athlete here at our school well, so why? So if there's so if the players don't get this list of demands met, and a lot of guys like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, you got all these top players putting out this graphic, putting out hashtag We Want to Play, and some of them start to pull back and say, "Okay, fine, you're not going to give us what we want. We're going to back out. We are the money maker. We are the product on the field." And that's when the quality of play drops down, and that's when money starts to drop because you start to see players, you start to see. D2, let's say D2 quality football. And obviously it's still pretty good football, but it's not Trevor Lawrence. It's not Justin Fields. It's not Joe Burrow from last season. So you, these guys really have the, I think they now have them right where they want them. And that's something we haven't seen in a long time. I see, like, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, once again, I feel like I have to be cynical and say, well, for a lot of people, like Saturday is just one big party and they don't really care what's going on on the screen. They just want to have something that they can drink around, mm-hmm. right? Um, on the other hand, like I, I'm honestly really frustrated. Like negotiation, I don't know what's going on in those, let's call them negotiations um, right now, especially for our home conference um, as Florida State, the ACC, uh, the SEC, I'm, I think they're just going to try and hammer it through the semester. Um, uh, and I, I think what you're going to see is that the regional, like the conferences will reflect, reflect the attitude towards um, safety and wellness um, of their greater region. So that's why you see, mm-hmm. you saw the Pac-12 immediately just say, okay, we're done. Um, well, we're not, it's... we're not going. Well, you've even seen, okay, so um, if you were able to see some of the quotes from the press conference last week of Florida State, I heard really no players complain. Like Marvin Wilson, you would expect if there was an issue with the whole COVID protocol, without, with all that stuff in player safety at FSU, Marvin would have sent something. And Marvin was in those press conferences. He said he feels safe. He says he wants to play. And he said he wouldn't have came back just to opt out last minute. That's so, why I think, like, anybody who's kind of like a doomer or says like, Oh, college football is screwed. We're not going to see it until spring. And even then we might not even see it. I think they're overreacting a bit. If there's any place on, on earth and that is better, like like better situated to form a, like uh, a soft or a hard bubble, it's a college campus. It's a research institution, which means medical supplies and uh, medical assistance isn't a problem to get to. Um, You have, dorms that are currently aren't being filled so you can have entire floors or even dorm buildings on campus just think of our campus you could like wall off traditions if you wanted to but um, think about how, but think about how much like it how easy it is to maybe sneak out i mean we're going to talk about it later with some of the mlb players but sneaking how out do you and get going into out a and dorm gary how do you get into a dorm but are you how do you get into how do you get into a hotel how do you get out of a hotel how do you, you get need, into a hotel you need an fsu id and that's log you can log that True. And you can also do a whitelist and a black, like um, the technology behind these cards is, is, is better than you think. Right. Um, but, it, but it also, it also isn't just the on-campus um, housing. I mean, so I'm, I'm sure some of the players live off campus as well. A lot of the student athletes live off campus as well. So because dorms are being used this year for Florida state, freshmen will right. be in dorms. I know people that are living in dorms this year for freshmen, but talking, talking about off-campus housing, all it takes is one player on, on the Florida state football team, to um, 
maybe celebrate after an, after a game day and hanging out with the wrong people because uh, not not the wrong people um, like in a bad way just because just the people like that might have the disease. Um, once again, like once again though, like if if I think the best course of option, like we've seen in other sports, like we've talked about in the past few weeks, it's like what are the what are the means of programs working? It's the bubble system. Um, the MLB right. is having COVID systems uh, or COVID cases uh, pop up every few days. Um, I know you, Gary, are best aware of that. Mm-hmm. But um, right. uh, the NBA isn't having an issue with this. Um, and when it is an issue with them, they're usually like uh, uh, freezing them out of contact with the other players. Mm-hmm. Um, the MLB or the NHL is having a phenomenal time with their um, – oversight on the players in both the um bubble cities um if if colleges are so determined to reap with the income that they get off of these players it's not a matter of of the union or anything it is protecting your assets um and this season is different and i know that um checkbooks are like if you really want uh, the season that happened and you need to put in the investment both in your players and i know some of them live off campus but they have to i think if for this whole thing to work a, a bubble is is necessary um and how that, do you bubble um, then if they're not if they're not employees we agree that the bubble works and everything but they aren't doing a bubble at florida state we've heard they're not doing like this or they're doing quote-unquote soft bubble but all it takes is one person to just say i'm gonna go to a house party tonight but they don't even have right. to do that they, yeah, like you could contract a virus just going to Publix and picking yeah. up, you know, groceries. Yeah, exactly. somebody not wearing a mask at Publix. Yeah, one one person, one rogue agent almost. But or someone but comes Sebastian, into the facility. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. true. I and think. But, but Sebastian, with that statement, is are you saying um, like it would be impossible to bubble the athletes in? Because you said I, I don't, the only I don't way think it is to work. Okay. I don't think it is. I, th- I think if you want players to like buy into that, like we want, we're committed to your safety. Um, so we're going to need you to follow these guidelines. We want to, uh, you guys want to play. We want to play. So we need to, we need to work together on this. So um, the problem that therefore becomes you start bubbling only football players, but what about volleyball that's playing? What about soccer that's playing at Florida state? There's all these other sports going on and you, by only saying, we're just going to bubble off football. You really say we value them more than you. So it's an interesting situation. You can't just, if I want to be, all, you if also I want can't to just cut off all housing right. for Florida State students because, or for at least on-campus housing because maybe some people, that's maybe one of the easiest ways they can get or cheapest ways they can get on-campus housing. So it's a tough situation, and we obviously believe the bubble would be best, but it's realistic for colleges because they have so much other um, – they want to be able to make so much more of their money in the form of dorms or in the form of on-campus eating that they wouldn't necessarily get for football I'm players. Be, I'm going to be real with you, Gary. Like the way that Florida State says that it values football over women's volleyball or soccer is the fact that soccer doesn't play in Doak. Um, I know I know, ticket revenue isn't a, like a thing this year, but that's not, not, not what I mean. Like the TV deals pay for other programs. Like football inherently, like I'm going to be completely honest here, is more valuable to um, these institutions than any other sport that they do. Um, but no one's denying that yeah no we're i'm just saying the optics of it all is very very bad you cannot just because that's yeah you know florida state has empty residence halls right they're they're leaving one or two residence halls empty but those are for for those are for outbreaks for covid 19 outbreaks and in college football if they wanted to 
could have like acknowledged that, okay, these football players or these athletes are employees to some extent, then you bubble. I still don't think a bubble is a great idea. Like I think it, it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough, tough to tough live for, in. For, it's like a t- like for, for like all the leagues you mentioned for the NHL, the NBA, MLS, NWSL. Yes, it worked to bring sports back, but for all of those athletes, that is their job. I know it's a great job for a lot of them; it's their dream job, but it's still their job. And is it really a great workplace to be living in a bubble for? Sometimes you know, if you're in the NBA, you know, the finals end in October, and we, we talked about that. Like stuck not being able to see your family for months on end. One, that's not what you signed up for. And I know we're you know, in uncharted territory, but it's like, that's not really a great place to go to work every day, staying in a hotel, going to play basketball in front of no fans. Like that's just not, and for college students, we talk about, yeah, all it takes is one to just, you know, to, to, to not ruin it for everybody for what for one person can track the virus, yeah, yeah. but they don't even have to go to a party or to, you know, somewhere they're not supposed to be they to get it. Take like, a like I said, order or... Yeah, exactly. You can get it anywhere. Like, Okay, so I want to back away from the, the bubble analogies because what we're looking at at the end, you're right, with the employees, we're looking at bubbles that are um, players being paid in the millions to live in high-end luxury hotels. Um, I mean, I've been watching the – like I've shouted him out like three times now in the past three weeks. Matisse Thibault on the 76ers, he's living in the Grand Floridian. I have ridden past the Grand Floridian on the monorails when I go to Disney World or whatever. <laughs> that place looks Same. amazing. Like – um. I understand that there's a there's a pretty big difference between um, the Grand Floridian or um, the the Yacht Club. I think is another one of the uh, bubble hotels uh, for some of the like Sally teams. Hall. You know, there's yeah, a difference yeah. there. There's a difference between <laughs> yeah. Uh, tradi- I was going to make the traditions analogy because I think that's where some of the players actually live nice. on campus. Yeah, yeah traditions is like Sally, on the though. better end, but there's a, there's a difference. That being said, like there is a there is a matter of kind of buying in. Right. If you if you're committed to, to wanting to play, I think that you got to you got to meet the school halfway. Um, I understand that. Obligation to because at the end of the day, you are a student athlete and not an employee. I, rec- I recognize that. But if you really want to play and you want to make your case of uh, both, I want to go uh, play for my school. I want to go play for the NFL. Um, if you want to actually go out and play, um, I think the bubble is the best option. Um, and there's, there's ways of schools kind of jumping on board with that. Like not only like actually going ahead and meeting their players halfway. Um, it honestly could be a marketing pitch for the schools, like two years down the line in 2022, when you're trying to, when you're scouting three stars and four stars, you can say, yeah, when things were really bad, who did we care about the most? We cared about the players. We um, made sure that they didn't have to go up for anything. Like they, could go um they could stay in the dorms or just stay in a certain area on campus um you know we got them groceries we we sent them to their dorms or whatever so they didn't have to worry about um compromising their their immune systems out in public um i think that would be a much bigger pitch to any for any school um than oh hey here's our new locker room by the way we've renovated this about four times in the past uh three months but um because you always see on a college football sub a renovated uh, locker room every two and a half months or something like that. I think that would there, there's ways of of making this work, and it does require a buy-in for both player, uh, both players and institutions. Um, it I believe it can be done, and I believe it can be done this fall with with the logistical challenge of getting this 
done so soon, I, th- I think that's harder. But yeah. um, it can definitely happen in the spring. Football does not need to be canceled. I don't think football will be canceled. I mean, yeah, and I think a point that I wanted to bring up was, um, I mean, if you look at uh, like organizations or sports leagues like the NBA, the NHL, MLS, um, and you look at their roster sizes, um, I mean, uh, an NBA ro- roster size, which is like 15 to 18 guys compared to an NFL roster, which is 50, a 53-man roster, um, I mean, it's going to group of people. And when you, I mentioned the NFL because they have a 53-man roster, and then you translate it to to, um, to the NCAA football, which has 90 as student athletes of the football team, it's going to be hard to contain all those guys. So I just think um, just, just the logistics of the football team and um, comparing it to like other organizations like the NBA that have smaller rosters, well, all those players in. Once again, it requires a buy-in. Like if you right. – if you're one of those, if you are a guy who does not care about adhering to the rules of like a, a bubble, then you're going to lose your spot. Not because, you know, you, you broke the rules. Is that fair? You literally cannot because you're a dangerous. Um, I don't think it's fair. I think I, if, I mean. Should they, should a player lose their eligibility if they don't want to play this? If, if, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't mean like that. I, I don't mean it like that. Absolutely not. I don't mean it like that. I mean in the sense that like you will be you will be benched for about three weeks while you, um, while until you test negative again, you you probably won't be allowed to practice uh, or just interact with anybody else in the uh, well, in, on right. the team. But it's hypothetically, if there was a bubble, if there was a bubble, hypothetically, uh-huh. and there, there won't be. If a player decided, you know what, I'm not getting paid to do this. This is already dangerous, even with the bubble. You know, it's less dangerous for sure, but it's still dangerous. I'm not getting paid. Uh, I'm not going to be able to, you know, get to see my family or get to see my friends or get to see the people I care about besides my teammates on the football team. I'm going to opt out of this season. Should I lose my eligibility? Should I be, you know, denied the chance to transfer to somewhere that I could still be under scholarship if I'm not playing on the football team? Am I going to be able to stay, have the same access to the nutritional stuff, the food, the, the housing, and all this other stuff that's provided to me while I'm a scholarship athlete at Florida State, you know, or at any other school? Well, there's still there's, – there's precedent for that, and that's last semester. Or when, when players were given uh, for spring sports an extra semester or full year, was it, of eligibility? Right. There's but if, if, already, if I'm so a player, but that's what these players are trying to, to, to achieve. We come back right to the union. Co- yeah, yeah, we come back to the union at the beginning. But yeah, it's it's just full circle at this point. Yeah, because we've this, come, this we've is come full circle. This is different. Like, but, well, if, if you you're not playing Florida football, State. you're not uh, you're not on scholarship. But if you so, so hypothetically, if they went to a bubble, and I decided, you know what, this is still not safe. I still don't want to play. Could the university then turn around and say, well, you're not going to be on scholarship. You can't live here. You can't eat here. You know, you can't use our facilities. That is ridiculous. Yeah, I think there, completely- there will be, there will, they will, there will be blowback in more ways than one. If a school outwardly said, no, if you're not uh, buying into the bubble program, we're not giving you scholarship. Yeah, there will be blowback from pretty much every angle that I can think of. 
from and the student why, body. And that's why it's not going to work really. When it comes down to really even for Florida State, if I, if I think one school might take this whole thing or the players might take it a little bit more seriously, if Florida State because of what their teammate Andrew Baselli went through and his family. I know his father, Anthony Baselli, went was or Tony Baselli. He was on, well, yeah, he was on CNN today. Yes, exactly. And um, his father was hospitalized for it. Baselli or Andrew said he was feeling awful for a few days. I mean, like if he can kind of like tell that story, like that cautionary tale to his teammates, and say, hey, don't let this be us. Don't let that be you. I don't want to see you in that hospital. I don't want to see any of us in that hospital bed. So maybe that they kind of use that and maybe. Like, like things, hey, hey, let's not my, do this. I don't want to end up like that. Where um, people only take it seriously, take certain things seriously when it happens to them. They only get flood insurance when storm surge takes out their house. They only start using face masks when their cousin gets sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so maybe um, they start getting taking it think, seriously because their teammate got sick. And like I said, they don't want to see it happen to them. It's things like that that make me optimistic about this this whole thing. Um, uh, once again, like, so it's not a matter of will they, won't they bubble. It's players taking responsibility for themselves and protecting their most important asset, which is their own bodies. I think that you can expect that from like, – I, I think you can expect that from student-athletes. Um, I, I just I, I thought of another point actually like um, if you look at a team like Clemson who when their players returned to camp um, had I don't remember the exact amount of cases but a significant amount of cases and I'm assuming um, those players have now tested negative but they've developed the antibodies for the disease or for, for the virus so now if you look at if you're um, a team like Clemson, you're like, oh well, our players probably won't get the disease, won't get the virus again because we developed the antibodies. So that gives them a reason to to play to to keep playing. So and then who's on the who's on the Clemson football team? Trevor Lawrence, one of the most prolific players in the NCAA football right now. So I, I think it's just I think it's, it's I all think the like, problem with that. It's, it's like, all I know with the whole Clemson herd immunity thing. I know like you make a good point there, but still it's still this is still a novel virus and we don't know everything about it. like obviously the heart stuff is starting to become a bigger issue now that we start to get be a little bit further down the line um we don't know really how long you maybe have antibodies for we, like it's not 100 percent set in stone this is the date this is the time frame so right. maybe clemson their antibodies run or maybe like only six months or so who knows right, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying it as a point as as yeah, why no, the i know what you mean. Work. i'm just yeah. saying like the, the teams that that might be pushing more for a college football mm-hmm. season might be the ones that have already contracted the virus and it's not going to affect them. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. They developed the herd immunity. Like you could say the Marlins might be better set up for maybe a run because they've had 18 guys test positive already. So it's, it's, yeah, it's that the whole herd immunity. Discussion. For, if you're going to, if you're going to ask the Marlins players who did contract uh coronavirus no i don't think they're proud of that or happy that they did like it's just it now it could be convenient but i don't want to say it's a good thing because it's obviously an awful thing to uh out of any institution um across the college football landscape i think clemson is far and away the worst one to look at and say like well maybe maybe schools will pursue it from this angle because they really really shouldn't um, I think the the way Clemson handled this, and this is this is particularly on a public safety level, 
um, where they, it feels like uh, Debo Sweeney and, and multiple comments kind of brushed away like coronavirus concerns. Um, it feels like he, I'm not saying it's all his fault that his players got sick, but like the way he telegraphed his attitude towards the, uh, the virus um, did not fill me with a ton of optimism. No, and, certainly not. And was it one thing that really just kind of popped into my head here, Trevor Lawrence obviously is one of the leading factors behind this new power five players union, as we're going to call it. And Dabo Sweeney has been caught on record saying, if the, once the day players start getting paid in college football is the day I'm quitting my job. So I want to kind of know how did Trevor kind of run this whole players union thing by Dabo or like, is Dabo, was Dabo in on this? Because I don't think he would be because this isn't Dabo. Maybe, maybe he's had a change of heart. I don't know. Some people change, but it's kind of like off, it's off book or it's off the, it's usually off the track for that yeah you know i i think this has been a really great discussion about what college football you know hypothetically could could do in a situation like this and there's still so many question marks and before we move on we're still going to talk about college football and what's in store for florida state and, and for the acc but if the NCAA, the you know they could have done better at making sure that this season was played. They, they could have recognized um, the, these, these student athletes as employees earlier, and there would have been a lot less hurdles to, to play this college football in a safe environment and potentially a bubble. And, and they dropped the ball here, um, not the players. I do want to talk about the ACC. So as of now, we're hearing that the ACC is moving forward with playing their schedule and other conferences in this part of the country are as well. The SEC, the Sun Belt. Uh, so far, no ACC schools have opted out. We're seeing some individual schools canceling sports in the fall and other conferences doing the same, like we mentioned that the Big Ten and, and then potentially the Pac-12. Uh, what would it mean for the landscape of college football in 2020 if there's no Big Ten, which does include uh, one of the national title favorites in, in Ohio State? Gary? Well, it's going to certainly hurt kind of the playoff picture because when we get down to it, it's who are the top four teams in the nation? It's usually Ohio State in that conversation. So losing a year for Justin Fields, losing a year for whoever it may be on any of those rosters, it's going to suck. It's really going to suck. But that's why we're hearing the conversation right now. I, these are just obviously rumors. Nothing is set in stone that maybe Michigan, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Ohio State jump to another conference like the Big 12, maybe – the SEC just becomes the Ameri the United States Conference of um, whatever, like college athletes. The American so, United States Conference of America. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> going, that's something that the SEC would call it. So uh, you're going to see, you might see something like that. And I, I would honestly kind of be down to watch the uh, Ohio State play an SEC schedule. The, if, if things just hold the way they're going to be, and let's just say, out of the for the for ease of things, um, two conferences play out of the P5 and three don't, um, and the NCAA decides to go ahead with a playoff or something. Um, I think all you're really going to see is a massive asterisk played on any or placed on any form of champion. You know how there's if you go back through Wikipedia pages, there's unclaimed mm -hmm. national titles. 
this is going to be a year where somebody has an unclaimed well, national title. Well, it could title. even get to the point where it's more like those old unclaimed and claimed national titles where maybe the national champion is decided by the polls this year because who knows if there's going to be a bowl season or if we're going to be able to, to do it safely because that's a long way down the line. That's January. That's December. And we don't really know what's going to happen at that time and place. So this could be a year where it's a poll. It's the AP, the coaches, or the playoff poll claiming or sending out three titles. And who claims it? Who doesn't? That's the big question. Yeah, interesting. Anthony, any thoughts on what the national landscape would look like for college football if, say, the Big Ten and let's say the Pac-12, two of the Power Five conferences, uh, opt out? or Not opt out, but cancel their seasons, and you're working with three Power Five conferences. Would there still be a college football playoff? And how would you feel about the validity of that national title? I just think bowl games in general um, will, I think, will there even be bowl games? Like, you, you know what I mean? Um, so I think it, it's definitely going to change the landscape and it might even open up a door for a team like, like UCF. I'm going to, I'm going to throw them in there. Uh, that, <laughs> that possibly if they have an undefeated season, Hey, <laughs> they're like, Hey, uh, Ohio State's out of the picture. Why not us? Um, I know that that's a, that might be a stretch. They might still, end up uh, being the fifth ranked team who knows but uh, yeah it's definitely going to change the whole landscape of, of college football I, I don't see how a playoff situation is going to work you might, you might have to open up the situation the, the bubble situation again for a college football playoff uh, uh, like bubbling bubbling in four teams versus the rest of college football is going to be a lot better for the for the NCAA so if you're gonna if that's how you're gonna do um, your college football playoff or like Gary said you go you decide the top two teams by the polls and have them just play a, a national championship just like um, just like it used to be, you know? So I think it, it, the NCAA has a lot of deciding to do when it comes to this. And like you said, they've had how many like, – like we said at the top of the show, we've been home for five months. We've been out of school for five months. The NCAA has had more than five months to come up with a decision on how this whole virus could affect the season. They've been the laziest people out of anyone during this quarantine. And I swear I've been pretty dang lazy too. So it's, I don't know, I just don't get it how anyone in the NCAA is like not willing to just put their foot down and say, hey, this is how it's all going to go and you all are going to follow us because we are <laughs> boss. And it, you just don't see that. It's poor leadership from, was it Mark Emmerich or whatever his name is in the NCAA headquarters. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's bad. I think it's uh, funny that left everything the last minute yeah, well, that's, honestly that's classic I, NCAA. I, yeah. honestly that means i could be uh, a big wig up at the ncaa oh, and yeah. fit right in like perfect and i i don't think there should be an asterisk on this season either i mean if you look at the nba the the players and the coaches they're like this is one of the top seasons our players have been have been through so kind of a slap in the face so i mean if a national championship under these conditions even though teams like ohio state and teams that dominate the i don't think that, like yeah like imagine the discipline you already see on the field from those national title teams like in whether it be pen lack of penalties or just football smarts you're going to need a hundred times more discipline that comes even off the field this year. So yeah, it's going to be, I, you're going to obviously hear the people say, Oh yeah, you won the court, you won the quarantine national title. Like who cares? That's not a real one. You didn't play Ohio state. You didn't play whoever. If we 
be true. So you're going to hear those arguments made all the time. But uh, yeah, like you said. Oh, okay. I, so I was a little frozen there, guys. My oh, okay. okay. <laughs> we were wondering, like, what? This sounds like Are a great like idea. We should all freeze to, to psych out Brett just to keep him on his toes. It was, like like it was choppy. So it was like I couldn't tell if Gary finished, but I didn't want to, like, hop in over him. But all right, we'll, we'll keep it going, guys. Uh, I don't even know if our listeners noticed earlier on in the show I had a power outage. And uh, we kind of just kind of spliced the show together for, so that no one could notice. But may, maybe you, you did notice we were a little choppy there for a second. Um, yeah, uh, still so many question marks regarding the college football season. I agree with Anthony that, you know, whoever plays, it's, it's going to be a weird season. There's, whoever's the national champion, uh, they're going to be they're going to go through through so much. And I, I don't think you can really put an I, I hate putting asterisks on, on anything, uh, you know, if they actually happened. But. We'll move on. We've got some more baseball news, and there's been some more bench clearings. Uh, another one involved in, involving, you guessed it, uh, the Houston Astros. And this one was more of a traditional brawl than it was a bench clearing. Uh, Ramon Laureano charges towards the Astros dugout after getting hit by a pitch for the, th- I think it was the third time uh, in, in the series. Uh, John Boyd did a great breakdown on this. If you, if you don't follow him, he does some some pretty solid baseball breakdowns. But he got hit by – Loriano got hit by a slider in a game against the uh, Houston Astros. And uh, then on his way to first base, uh, was giving the pitcher – I don't know, it was some random reliever for Houston uh, – some tips on how to throw his slider. Uh, much to the chagrin, I guess, of, of not only Humberto that pitcher. Castellanos. Castellanos. There you go. Yeah. And Martin Maldonado, uh, and because when he got to first base, he was still talking, and then he kind of stopped. And then, uh, Gary, talk to me about what Alex Cintron, one of the Astros' coaches, uh, did to get under Loriano's skin. Well, I don't know exactly what was said, but they were obviously drawing at each other. And then Loriano decides, I'm going to beat the heck out of this guy. So he charges him, and there are some Astros players to jump in and stop Loriano from reaching uh, Cintron. But the whole bench is cleared, and I don't know if masks were all worn at that time, but it was <laughs> at the, it was the best of times and the worst of times, to say the least, for that situation. But you're, I like baseball fights, but – this year let's kind of hold back on these ones guys well Cintron yeah, was the one that was one of the f- instigated the fight himself he he mm-hmm. was saying like if you if you watch if you watch it back you see him saying come like come at me come here and uh eventually Loriana uh, had enough and who was there to to step in front of uh Cintron the the, the Astros players they they Cintron had nothing to do with the fight he didn't even throw a punch he stood in the background while everyone else was, was pushing each other and everything. So he was just instigating the fight, and I don't, I don't think that's right. Well, did you see what uh, Loriano said later on after the game? Or he's like, <laughs> yeah. I think this is about around today. He said to ESPN, quote, I regret charging him, referring to Cintron, because he's a loser. A suspension is understandable, <laughs> but I hope that it's not many games. I, the first part, that first sentence, I regret charging him because he's a loser. Is that's a great line. <laughs> that is that that is one heck of a statement from Loriano. And you can't have coaches uh, starting this fight. Loriano deserves to be suspended, and yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't think he should be praised as the hero here, even after going going after the Astros. Because, like you said, Gary, uh, bench clearings, brawls, they just shouldn't be happening this year. Uh, with with what we know about 
how the virus can spread. Uh, but A plus takedown from the uh, Astros backup catcher, yeah. Dustin Garneau. The <laughs> Loriano went charging right at the dugout, got him down quickly. I thought that was impressive. My favorite part of all of it was Loriano teaching Castellanos how to throw throw the slider. He's like, You're not snapping it. You're throwing it flat. <laughs> and uh, but but Anthony, you know, you gotta see you're a catcher yourself. You gotta see Martin Maldonado and Dustin Garneau, you know, both doing their job, protecting not only their pitcher, but the rest of their team. Uh, you got to love that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you saw – I think it was Maldonado got into it with uh, with Matt Chapman, I think it was. That, yeah. Like, he was trying to hold Matt Chapman back. And, yeah, I mean, even like the Astros, regardless of whether there's a, a pandemic going on, they were going to get some um, some flack from the rest of the, from the, rest of the league. Um, so, your catchers, your, um, your leaders, your um, – really the backbone of the team are your, are your catchers. So, if – um, if they're holding everything together and they're making sure no one's getting into, into too much trouble, uh, you should have a pretty good organization. Anthony, had you ever been in any fights as a catcher, at least having to hold guys back? I know I've never really had that experience because I've always been infield outfield kind of mm-hmm. player, but what is it like kind of being on that side of the plate there? I, I haven't had to hold anyone back, but there have been the moments where, one of my pitchers let, uh, lets one loose, uh, hits hits the batter, and he kind of starts jawing at, at him. I'm just I'm just like like run to first base, like go to first base, like like what are you doing? Like there, there's like there's literally no point to start a fight. Like we're we're uh, like high school. I, I play club baseball at Florida State. We're we're club baseball like athletes. Like we're not like Division One athletes who are throwing 95 right down the middle every single pitch. Like we're gonna have our mistakes. We're gonna have our blunders and I like it I mean just my personality I, I like to diffuse the situation either way so I'm just like just like just go just go down the run, run down the first baseline do your, do your hard 90 down the first baseline after you get hit by a pitch and we'll like let's move on with the game there's there's no point there's it's it's unheard of like there's no point of it I but. still don't understand the the what has transpired through this what was supposed to be a season of penance uh, for the Houston Astros. I'm not sure if it's because uh, God loves the Houston Astros or if this is like a part of the uh, deal with the devil that they made um, when they got their rings. Uh, because in, before the season, uh, Bettman protects the Astros and saying, uh, no, you can't go out of your way to bean um, Astros players when they come to your stadium. Um, otherwise, you will get suspended. We start with Joe Kelly, um, even though, you know, Joe Kelly was stirring the pot a bit. Uh, and now we have, you know, um, a team who's not throwing balls at Astros players and they're still getting jawed uh, and being taunted essentially. And there's nothing you can really do because the way you settle things in baseball, it's a gentleman's sport with a bit of like a with elbowing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the unwritten rules. Yeah, yep. the unwritten rules. Um, when players aren't allowed to play by the unwritten rules, like, and there's no disciplining by the MLB because let's be honest there was no real disciplining like you you have a fall guy and you've got a fine that's not punishment for um disrespecting what I, I know the commissioner believes is just a piece of metal um but for everybody else in the league that, that's something that you play for um I think you met Manfred earlier. You said Bettman. I know. It's I, under, said, yeah, I said, I said a commissioner. It's under, it's another Met- commission we don't like. Two, not great ones, but uh, he's he's way he's miles ahead of Manfred. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's your compare. Yeah, you're. It's 
<laughs> he got a team in Seattle before the the Supersonics came back, and he got a uh, a team on the ground in Vegas before anybody else I, did. I, I got to I want to jump back to your point about the unwritten rules. I mean, at this point, baseball has made the one of the unwritten rules about fighting a written rule now that there is no fighting. So now the baseball has come up with their own. They had to rewrite the unwritten rules to combat the written rule now. So it's a whole just dichotomy that is within baseball. It's never really going to be understood. <laughs> right. And I, I just think it's a shame that players are getting suspended um, for more games than the Astros players who cheated in the 2017 season. Uh, the, like they got more suspensions than they did. So I just don't think it's necessarily fair. But I, and also an eight, game, an eight game suspension in a 60 game season is huge. But I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. I'll just, just throw yeah. that out there. Also, I like how I like how you started uh, before we transitioned to the baseball uh, segment of this of this uh, podcast. I like how you mentioned um, that no no championship should have an asterisk an asterisk on it. And then we went right into the Astros. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just convenient. Just a little convenient. It was, it was, a, it was a nice transition. <laughs> like silly. Yeah. Before we move on, going on, like if, if you do a suspension that's worth eight games, no matter how short the season is, like you deserve to be suspended eight games. Now we can debate whether or not he should have been suspended eight games, but it's like the only part of the baseball season that shortened, well, I guess now games and doubleheaders are, is the season from 162 games to 60 games. So, like, a nine-inning game, you know, yeah, that's worth how many innings in a 162-game in season. If, if you get what I'm saying, that you know, they're still playing three- and four-game series. You know, injuries, if you get injured for a week, you know, that's going to be a bigger proportion of the season. So, I think you got to do the same thing with suspensions. Like, if you do something that's worth getting suspended, you know, eight games. Right. But if you do that, like, if you do the crime, you do the time. And it sucks that the season's shortened, but, like, that's just the, what we're dealing with. You can't shorten every other part of the season. So, anyways, uh, Sebastian did mention Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, and maybe his mind was on the ice because we are talking uh, hockey today on tonight's Tomahawk Talk. The Stanley Cup playoffs are set. Uh, we've kind of teased in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and while well, the NHL got through their qualifying round, and then there are a seeding round robin where we've talked about the NBA coming back. And there's definitely going to be plenty of NBA talk in the next few weeks as they get ready to start their playoffs. But the 16-team field is set in the National Hockey League. And, uh, Gary, your Florida Panthers uh, fell just short of, of, of making it in there. How are you feeling? You just got to kick me while I'm down, man. Just just let me have it. I mean, the Panthers, they didn't look well. as Bobrovsky and Nett didn't, couldn't stop the puck. Defense wasn't playing well. And offense, especially in that first game against the Islanders, was just sluggish, man. It's, they couldn't get anything going. They couldn't really control the puck well in the offensive zone. It's a bad series. And to top it all off, the Panthers get the 12th pick in the draft lottery. So that really is just another gut punch for Florida hockey. It's like, we don't, it's like they don't want hockey to grow in the state of Florida. Uh, yeah, you know, the Rangers end up with the number one pick there. It could have been the Convenient. Panthers as the hmm. number one pick they given to that placeholder. Yeah, It was so, rigged. They I'll, dropped I'll the, the ball. Panthers. But, yeah, Sebastian, not, I want to go to you. Great. I want to go to you, Sebastian. Victor Hedman. So, the Lightning end up with the number two seed. They lose to the Flyers on Saturday in, what would have, in a game that would have given them the number one seed. But during the seeding round, Robin, they lose Victor Hedman, and it's unclear how long he's going to be out. We know how hockey – uh, can be very vague when it comes to injuries and the severity of them. 
Um, but I don't think Hedman will be ready to start the uh, opening round for the Bolts against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Before we talk about the, uh, I guess the poetic, the, the, the how poetic it is that the Bolts are playing the Blue Jackets again. How much I don't know of a lightning going to about Vietnam flashbacks, honestly? <laughs> but um, how much of the lightning going to miss Hedman though if he's out for this entire series? I mean, Hedman is an anchor for this team. Stammer is our captain. Or Stammer is the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning captain, and he's also out. But um, something that um, Vasilevsky commented on at the end of last night, or not last night's name, but the night before, mm. um, at the end of that game was is maybe this is like a good thing because um, things have been going pretty well through the round robin. And uh, a kick in the pants was kind of required. You don't want to be lulled into the same sense of security that um, you were last year, especially. Um, <laughs> there are mixed, from what I've seen online, there are mixed um, opinions in across uh, the Tampa Bay um, fan community, where there's people who are like ready because this time's going to be different. There's people who are like, oh God, no, not again. I'd say I'm more like, I'm, I'm, I'm wary. I've been burned before. I don't want to be burned again. Um, Columbus is a phenomenal team. Columbus well, is, is the upside. The upside with getting Columbus right now is you don't have Bob playing. You're not going to get up against Bob Rofsky in a contract year. So he's not really playing for the, I mean, it's not the same uh, level of goaltending, I'd call it, compared right, to what but, Bob Rowski was doing last year. But the, uh, the Bolts are missing two of their most important players, both as voices in the locker room and as actual on-ice talent. Um, Hedman is crucial, and Stammer is the captain. He's, he's, that's, that's the way I refer to um, Steven Stamkos. Mm-hmm. He is he is like an anchor and a and a voice on that team that is incredibly important, and um, I'd argue that that Stammer being out um, is a bigger weight off ice uh, than Hedman being out, even though those two are leaders on the team. Um, I'm I'm eager to, for this series. I am I'm I'm ready to get hurt again. Um, I really <laughs> hope I don't have to. Um, I hope I can be way more comfortable with uh the bolts chances for a cup hopefully this year uh that's me knocking on wood uh, <laughs> but um well I'm, I'm i'm ready for playoff hockey we've been getting good playoff hockey this year um the the panthers did put up a good fight and we want to see them do well i i on it my condolences my condolences gary um at the end of that draft uh, because as i understand it uh the panthers got the 12th pick in the 12, lottery 12 mm-hmm. and uh for reference ladies and gentlemen uh the panthers had anywhere from like a 10 to 15 percent chance of getting your are in jesus <laughs> um they got so um it'll be next year for you brett, guys brett how do you feel about your lightning in this series against columbus being a bolts fan yourself I like what Sebastian said about adversity and what Vasilevsky said, because you look at last year, everything that the lightning went through, they were the best team in hockey. They had one of the best regular seasons, if not the best regular season in NHL history. And although I think almost every Bolts fan knew it wasn't a guarantee that they were going to hoist the Stanley cup or even get out of the first round, none of them were going to say that the Bolts were going to get swept. It was really in the fashion that had happened 
one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen in sports. Now, I always knew there was a chance, you know, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, literally anything can happen. But for a number one seed and a number one seed like the Lightning to get swept by Columbus in that first round last year, something I never would have imagined. Then you look at this year. Obviously, the entire globe is going through a bit of adversity right now with COVID-19. But how weird this shutdown has been for everybody. And now you've got these sports restarting. Columbus played a playoff series already. Like this, that series they played against Toronto, in which they knocked off a pretty good Leafs team that's got a lot of talented players, that was playoff hockey. The Bolts were playing in the seeding round robin, which even though they played good hockey, those games were intense, and their game against Boston was really chippy. Not the same. I, did, I couldn't call it playoff hockey. If there was a tier between, you know, regular season hockey and playoff hockey, it was sitting right there in the middle. Like some of those really good regular season games you see that don't happen every night, but where it's fast, it's physical, and it's just intense. That's what this was. But that's still like not what Columbus is doing. Columbus was getting revved up fully. And in hockey, I think that's such an important part of the game. That's a step up for the Blue Jackets. And you kind of speak about being high and on your side of the bracket, you guys are playing either you got, if I'm just saying, if the winner of the lightning and blue jacket series will come out to play the winner of the flyers and Montreal Canadian series, you got to be feeling confident right now. If it's for your side of the bracket, you're playing what was the four seed in the East. I know Philly's hot right now, but the Montreal Canadians, they're the 12 seed. They came in, they barely made the Stanley, Stanley cup qualifiers. And they punched Pittsburgh in the mouth. They won 3-1 in their best of uh, three out of five series. But you think the winner of – I would like to think that if Tampa Bay can get away from Columbus, they might have a nicer route to the Eastern Conference Finals compared to Boston or Washington. No, I definitely like their path. You look at how the Stanley Cup playoffs are usually formatted, right? Where it's set up to where you play like the winner. If you're the number two seed in your division – you play the winner of your division in the second round. So for a lot of years, it's like the Bolts and the Bruins because they're usually one or two in the Atlantic, and the Atlantic is just a stronger division at this point than the Metro. Uh, And so the fact that the Bolts would not have to face the Bruins and or the Islanders or the Capitals or the Hurricanes, which are all formidable opponents, until the conference finals makes my belief that the Bolts – are going to go back to the Stanley Cup Finals this year a lot stronger. I think they have a great path. Um, but with, with this year being so weird and with there still being uncertainty about Stamkos and Hedman and when they're going to return back to the ice, that's tough for the Bolt. They're going to need a huge coming out party, even though he's already had one on the big stage multiple times, from Braden Point. I think he has the ability – uh, after Nikita Kucherov to be their most talented player. And I think on some nights he is. And right now they're playing on the same line. Um, so maybe Braden – I think Braden Point's going to have to have, you know, maybe one of the best runs of his career uh, t- to take the bolt where they want to go in, in, in this playoffs. And you spoke about, like, the Bruins and who they have to play right now. One of my, I think my dark horse probably for the East would have to be the Hurricanes. I, I really like what the Hurricanes have been able to accomplish, and especially with – Sadly, the addition of Vincent Trocheck at the hands of my Florida Panthers, they look even better. And somehow, somehow, I don't get it. James Reimer, the, one of the back, he's the backup goaltender, really, in Carolina. But Peter Morazic also, the two guys in net for them, they've been playing well. So, I mean, if you have those two guys working off well, because they're kind of going with a tandem start for the two of them, 
I think Boston could get caught sleeping like they were in the seeding games because Boston won was the best team in in the East for the whole regular season, and now they're the four. Yeah, let's let's run real. Let's do our picks. Let's do our okay. picks in the first round. I, I I can't provide a whole lot of insight on the Western Conference. I don't mm-hmm. know if anyone else can, and I apologize for that. But let's start. We've got the bracket up on our show notes. Uh, Anthony, you can even hop in and, and give your picks as well. Uh, let's go. Let's go Vegas and Chicago. I will take the Golden Knights. I uh, had a really good regular season, and, and I, I think uh, Chicago is lucky to be in at the dance. So uh, give me the Golden Knights. I love Vegas too in this one. I love, love, love the amount of goals that will be scored in this series because Vegas can score – Chicago can score, and Chicago doesn't really have that great of goaltending compared to Vegas. So it's going to be a ton of fun. I think this is probably going to be one of my favorite series to watch in this uh, first round. Chicago, Chicago this year certainly can score. It's an immediate and uh, substantial improvement over the 2017 series, I believe, where they scored how many was that? Zero? <laughs> uh, zero goals that season in the playoffs. So um, I'll play chalk with this one too. I think it's going to be Vegas. Yeah, I also agree it's going to be Vegas. Um, I really love what they've done with their organization uh, just from the beginning, just uh, starting out as an expansion team and just being able to dominate right away just and play at a high level right away. Um, and they, they've continued to do it this season. So, I mean, I, I picked them for this series. Funny enough, also right. another team with a bunch of Panthers on it as well. Thanks to the, yeah. <laughs> thanks to the draft. The, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's speed around through the, west of the rest of the Western Conference. We'll go all the way to the finals, and then we'll head on over to the East. Uh, Colorado uh, in Arizona, I got the Avalanche, one of the best teams in the NHL this year. Uh, yeah, the, no chance for the Coyotes. I would give the Coyotes a chance if they were playing pretty much any other team except Colorado and Vegas, but I'm going to go with uh, Colorado this time around. Yeah. Sebastian? Uh, let me pull up the doc again. Oh, wait. Um, no, uh, I want Phoenix to do so well. Um, if you've seen their alternative jerseys, they're a thing of beauty, really. Uh, but uh, I just don't – I have not – I'm going to be honest. I have not watched enough uh, Coyotes or Avalanche play uh, through this year. I know that at the Avalanche this year have been a substantial improvement over um, the Avalanche uh, – the, their iterations over the past five years especially. Um, so I, I'm really excited to see how that translates into postseason play. Uh, to make a decision, though, if you want me to pick, I, I, I would. I want to see how how well they do this season. They they, they might go deep. Let's, let's let's give me the Avalanche. Yeah, and I haven't uh, been very well versed in Western Conference hockey as uh, either, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would okay. go. I would go. <laughs> I would go Colorado in this series as well. All right, all stars, stars and flames. Give me the Calgary Flames. Calgary, really? Why? Okay, get one quick point for why Calgary. Because I'm trying to speed through this, and I think uh, it'd be cool for Calgary and the Bolts to rematch in the finals. Sounds good to me. I'll take Dallas, though. <laughs> okay. Wait, did, did yeah. you say Dallas Dallas against the Flames? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Dallas and Calgary. I got Dallas. Dallas, Calgary. It wasn't in. It was never in. Give me Dallas. All Give me right. Dallas. Two too. for the Stars, one for the Flames. All right, so I'm all alone taking the Flames. Mm-hmm. We got the defending champs in the last matchup in the first round of the West, the St. Louis Blues and the Vancouver Canucks. St. Louis uh, got even better this year, I think. Uh, give me the Blues. You can't, yeah. Defending champs aren't going to lose first round. Go Blues. If, if no Canadian team 
moves forward than it is tradition. But playoff hockey is all about chaos. So give me the Ducks. Ooh. Yeah, I'm, right, I'm feeling. We... Yeah, I'm feeling the Blues in, in this series. They, like you said, national champions. Um, they, uh, Brett, like Brett said, they also look a lot better this year. So I mean, it's hard not to root for a team that has that experience. We've both got Vegas and Colorado, or all four of us rather, have Vegas and Colorado in the conference semis. Give me the Avalanche in this one, led by Nathan McKinnon. Uh, he, he is a true goal scorer. Give me the Avalanche going to the conference finals. I want I want Vegas to go all the way. I want them to win it all. I'm, they're the team that I'm going to be pulling for, honestly, this season in the playoffs. Interesting, interesting, Sebastian. Uh, Flyers, uh, Flyers, Habs. The Habs really surprised me with their. We're ta- uh, we're talking uh, who's going to go to the conference between. Oh, uh, uh, sorry. In, for the West. Uh, for the West. Um, Vegas and Colorado. Well, uh, let's do. Colorado, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. I'm really not sure what that matchup actually. This one could go seven mm-hmm. easily. Yep. I'm feeling Vegas. Just we Vegas. Can, just, yeah, just yeah, two can, for Colorado, two for know. Vegas. All right, and we got. I've got Calgary and St. Louis. I know I said it would be cool if the Calgary and the Bolts rematch like the 04 Stanley Cup Finals, uh, but I've got St. Louis going to the Conference Finals here and facing off against Colorado. Gary. Same with you, St. Louis. Really you have St. Louis and Vegas, right? St. Louis, Vegas, Conf- Western Conference Final. Okay. I really see no reason why the, the Blues cannot make it back to um, the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the West has, on, has yet to be as good as the East in the past five years, and I think that, maintain, that stays the same uh, through this season. Um, so if they can keep up the level of play that they, they had last season, it should be more than enough this season, frankly. Yeah, I see, I see the Blues going to the finals as well, uh, taking down the Golden Knights. All right, and let's go to our uh, other matchup. Um, we've got so – did, we, did you already give your conference finals pick, Anthony? Um, yes, I'm picking the – I'm going with the Blues. Uh, blues going all the way. Okay, so I've going got Blues and Avalanche. I'm sticking with the Avalanche. They just played in the round robin. The Avalanche won two to one. This could be one of the most interesting series in the playoffs. Obviously, when you get to the conference finals, that's obvious. Um, but I like the Avalanche. Better goal difference in the regular season. Beat them in the round robin. Uh, and the Avalanche, their only loss was an overtime loss against the Golden Knights in a great 4-3 game. Um, so, yeah, give me the Colorado Avalanche going all the way to the Stanley Cup finals. Oh, wow. I, I wouldn't have guessed that the Avalanche would have been all the way there in your opinion, but um, I'm going to take Vegas on this one. I love the Knights and I want them to keep the good times rolling and make their second Stanley cup final. Sebastian, did you give your conference finals pick? I, I did. I, 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 I didn't it, pick sorry. an opponent, but I do believe that the blues are, are going to take like whoever they get matched up against. I, I think they can make quick work of them. Honestly, I'm not saying that it'll be in five games. It might be in six, but um, I think the Blues will return to defend their title um, in the Stanley Cup Finals. All right, so we got two Blues, one Knights, and then one Avalanche. Let's go to the East. Uh, We've already given a lot of insight on some of these teams, so let's just run through and give our picks. I'm going to go through my whole bracket on the East. And then I'll let you guys do the same, and then we'll do our, our Stanley Cup finals. So in the first round, I've got Philly over Montreal. 
Uh, Montreal did well to get into the playoffs, but I think Philly really turned things on. They won all three games in the round robin, beat three really good teams in, in, in Boston, Washington, and the Bolts. Uh, so I got the Flyers moving on. Um, Bolts and, and Jackets. This one could be another uh, more squeaky bum time for Bolts fans. I could see it going five or six games, and uh, but I got the Bolts actually winning it this time around, so Bolts advance. Uh, Capitals, Islanders. I really like the Islanders guys. I uh, I think with with Barry Trotz, you know, it's just like it it's, it's, it works. And uh, their defense give, give is the so Islanders stingy. Over the Capitals, give me the Islanders over the Capitals. Give me the Bruins over the Canes. Carolina Hurricanes, really talented team, but Boston might be the best team in the NHL. In the second round, I know the Flyers just beat them over the weekend, but over a seven game series, I really like the Bolts over the Flyers. Give me the Bolts in the conference finals and give me the Bruins over the Islanders and what I think could be a really physical seven game, uh, you know, showdown between those two Northeast teams. But give me the Bruins going to the conference finals where they'll face off against one of their biggest rivals, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And ultimately, I've got the Bruins taking this one in seven to go on to play the Avalanche in the conference or in the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, maybe that's just a little bit of like, uh, me trying to you know throw off you know tempt fate a little bit maybe this, this not how it, it ends up in real life but uh sorry to all the bolts fans listening i've got the bruins winning the east uh gary i'll throw it over to you to run through your bracket all right i'm yeah like you said the canadians they were hot coming out of the qualifiers but i think philly's going to beat them in that one i think they beat them in a gentleman sweep five to or four to one then I got the Bolts winning pretty handily over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Could be also another gentleman sweep, maybe six games. Uh, then I'm going to pick again chalk. I'm going with the Capitals. I'm kind of just picking against New York because out of spite. And then uh, I, I want to pick Carolina, but I really feel like Boston losing that number one seed and falling all the way to four was, is going to be a real kick in the pants for them, and they're going to end up beating up on the Hurricanes pretty badly. Working back up to the top, I'm going to take Tampa Bay over Philly. Tampa Bay is the better team in this one. By far, Philly caught fire at the right time, but they could cool off after their seven-game series with the Canadiens. So Tampa Bay, and then they will face off once again. I think it's – actually, I'm going to go with them facing off against the uh, Capitals. I think the Capitals have what it takes, again, to make it there. They're obviously a very good team. And then – I'm going to say, I'm going to say it guys may, I think Tampa Bay, this is the year they make it back. They make it back to the Stanley cup final. Was it for the first time since 2016? 15 or the Blackhawks. 14. Yes. 14. Okay. 14. I felt like it was a lot sooner, but yeah, I'm going to pick Tampa Bay to face off against the Vegas gold Knights expansion franchise uh, championship. (laughs) It was 2015. I'm going to, it was 15. either way um yeah either way so i'm gonna quickly run down my uh my picks because mine will be shorter than most and you'll see why um philly's abs um i like what the uh the habs did through the um to get where they are right now but i I do believe that uh philly does have that edge um uh bolts blue jackets i will abstain i'm not ready to uh say anything about this series this is the series that i'm least confident about and any form of my uh predictions uh caps islanders i'll take the caps every day of the week um the bruins did limp in to the playoffs this this time around um i was way more confident i was riding high on them um, before the break but nowadays i'm not so sure if the um 
the Canes catch them off guard. I, I think this can go to the Canes, and I believe it will go to the Canes. Um, oh. Apart from I that, love the optimism. Um, I will tell you the opponent that I believe will be in the Eastern Conference final, but I cannot tell you for obvious reasons because I did abstain from the, uh, the top half of that bracket. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so as the opponent of whoever would make it out of uh, uh, Philly, Montreal, uh, Tampa, or Columbus, I believe it will be Washington to face them in the conference final. I can't give you a winner of who's going to win the Stanley Cup because uh, trying to do trying to predict anything in playoff hockey is folly. Um, I understand. But I'm. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just doing. The, I'm not doing this so much to cover the bases of to say I am right. Oh, I think he cut out. <laughs> we lost Sebastian. Anthony, lost you want to run through your picks. I'll run through it really quick. Yeah, um, I'm I'm taking the Flyers. Oh, there he is. Wait, oh, Sebastian, back. <laughs> come back. Yeah, come back in. We lost you. Yeah, you did. Sorry, Anthony. No, it's all right. Uh, I'll, I'll sum up really, really quickly. If, if Tampa does not come out swinging and not only the first period, but also the second period, I know this is groundbreaking stuff, but showing up in a playoff <laughs> game for two periods, I like, the, I will, I like their chances to win games this series. Otherwise uh, all bets are off. All right. I'll, all right run through, I'll run it. I'll run through it real quick. Um, I like uh, the flyers. Um, I, I like the lightning uh, against the blue jackets. Um, I'll take I'll take the Capitals against the Islanders and uh, like Sebastian's hot take I'll take the Hurricanes against the Bruins. Um, then moving on to the next round I'll take I'm gonna take the Hurricanes again. Uh, another hot take, probably. But but hey, they might be riding high off off beating uh, like Brett said one of the best teams in the NHL. Um, and I'll take the I'll take the Lightning over the Flyers in that series. Um, and, but I think the I think the Hurricanes' luck does run out in their series against the Lightning, and the Lightning will go on to face the St. Louis Blues. Um, that's the team I picked in the West. Um, and then my champion, I, I'm, I'm going with the Blues again. I like a I like a repeat. Um, I think the Blues. Uh, I think I think the Blues are, are looking good uh, in the series against the Lightning. Interesting, interesting, Gary. You want to give your Stanley Cup takes. Finals pick? I'm hoping and praying it's going to be Vegas and it's not going to be Tampa. So that's my pick. Go Knights. <laughs> I, 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 I had Boston in, in Colorado. Uh, I'll take Boston at six. I'm not going to wax poetic about the Bruins and why I think they're going to win the Stanley Cup finals. But that is my pick, and that is going to do it for this week's episode of uh, Tomahawk Talk. Thank you guys for listening. Sports overload. We Sports are back, um, but – but thank you guys for tuning in and, and, and remembering the life of former Florida State basketball player Michael Ojo. Big thank you to Ryan Kelly and Aria Masudi for those very kind messages that they sent into the show. Uh, thank you to our producer, Sebastian Angeliano, for Anthony Fernandez and Gary Putnick. I'm Brett Rutherford, and I'll talk to you guys next week.